TL Talk Radio, Season 3, Episode 18. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 18 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funy-Hetton and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funy-Hetton. Good afternoon, Randy. Hello, Lynn. I am so excited based on our pre-show conversation with our guests today. Tell us about them. Yes, so today we're speaking with Roberta Golenkoff, co-author along with Kathy Hirsch-Pasek of Becoming Brilliant, What Science Tells Us About Raising Successful Children. And uh, for our listeners, you know that I have a 14-year-old, Roberta, we didn't tell you that at the start of the show, so looking forward to hearing some some of your ideas there. (laughs) So um, Dr. Golenkoff is the Unidil H. Rodney Sharp Professor of Education professor of linguistics and cognitive science, and professor of psychological and brain sciences at the University of Delaware. She's won numerous awards, including the American Psychological Association Award for Distinguished Service to Psychological Science and Distinguished Scientific Lecturer. Having written over 150 articles in 16 books, monographs, and special journal issues, she's an expert on language development, playful learning, and early spatial knowledge. In Becoming Brilliant, Roberta and Kathy introduced a scientifically-based framework for how we should be teaching our children both inside and outside of school. Well, after that introduction, I'd like to welcome Roberta to the podcast. Thanks. It's fun to be with you guys. This will be fun, and especially uh, (laughs) connected with uh, your work based on some of the work that we've been doing within our school district around what have traditionally been called the four C's and which uh, in your work, you're expanding it to six C's. So let's start off our conversation with becoming brilliant. And what is that big question that you and your co-author were aiming to answer when you wrote the book? And why is this something that's important for both educators and parents to read and become knowledgeable in? So I'm going to use a technical term right away. Everybody quetches about education. Quetch means complain. Now, of course, you folks are in the trenches and doing a fantastic job from what you just sent me, thinking about what are the competencies that kids need to succeed in the 21st century. The world is turning upside down. And parents are worried about what's going to happen to their kids. And will their kids exceed their earning potential? We also have about 20% of our children in the United States in poverty. Criminal. So the question that we wanted to ask is, how, based on the research, could we reimagine education for the 21st century. And the first thing we had to do was reimagine what we meant by success. So up to now, mostly the way people think about success is getting straight A's. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to denigrate getting good grades. For heaven's sakes, I'm a university professor. (laughs) And I had kids too. But that's so far from the whole story these days. Kids really require more than just straight A's to be able to have fulfilling personal and professional lives. 
A lot of this has to do with how virtually 50% of our jobs over time are going to go to the, the computer and the um, robot. There's just no question about that. And many sources have said this. So this means we have to educate our children to have the skills that robots and computers cannot accomplish, like collaborating, like communicating, like creative innovation. We need to help our children learn to do the things that cannot be replaced by a computer. You know, this is happening to every profession. Lawyers, for example, are being replaced by legal Zoom, where people who have ordinary legal problems no longer need to beat the bushes and find an attorney. They can go out and, and do this document, whatever it is they need themselves. The boilerplate version is on the web. So it's not the only field that is threatened by automation. So we have to think about, as you guys did in Salisbury, what is it our kids need to succeed? In fact, it's a bit unusual perhaps, but our book has a mission statement, which I'd like to read if you let me, because it's short, but it captures what I think we probably all want for our kids in this crazy new world. So we say society thrives when we craft environments in and out of school that support happy, healthy, thinking, caring, and social children who become collaborative, creative, competent, and responsible citizens tomorrow. So we're not just talking about success at all as getting straight A's. We're talking about kids having fulfilling personal lives as well as becoming responsible citizens for their communities. And I think a lot of people are very concerned about our youth because they're spending so much time on their devices and not connecting personally that people are getting worried about the social skills, for example, that our children will acquire. Yes, this uh, this idea that we are taking what we've traditionally thought of as success and really expanding the definition yes. and having that definition being shaped by those things that are external. Um, and I oftentimes say that the the world is changing exponentially now and our schools are not changing exponentially. We're still moving along in a linear path. And as I long agree. as we keep doing that, we're gonna yes. have this gap keep growing bigger and bigger and bigger between what our schools are and what's happening in the real world. And I think what your book does and what you've just said in your uh, answer to our first question here is that um, our parents are starting to realize that you know this gap is 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 not a good gap for us to have and and what right. can we do to change right. that and your book really focuses on some ways in which we as educators but also um, I've found a really nice angle for parents as well uh, oh, to, yeah. to get involved in this too. Previously for our TL Talk Radio listeners, we've shared the four C's and we've talked about the four C's from the Partnership for 21st Century Learning. And your book you know, takes it a couple of steps further and um, talks about six C's. So can you talk to us a little bit about what we know from the learning sciences that will support this vision for learners, um, this idea of six C's and how that science of learning influenced how you both have sequenced the C's yes. in your so book. Then I'm thrilled. I'm so happy that you noticed the difference because uh, it turns out that other people have come out with competencies and right around the same time that we did. But nobody 
does it from the perspective of developmental and cognitive science. So we trace the development of these Cs. And as Randy said a moment ago, we're all about having parents help their children develop these Cs because the way I think about education is it's like an ocean liner. So you know how long it takes for an ocean liner to turn around? Like a long time. <laughs> and one could argue that we're still having schools that are pegged to the agrarian economy, they were created to accommodate. And, you know, with the world changing as rapidly around us, we really need to make sure that our kids get more than just the three R's. I am in no way saying that the three R's and content is not important, but it's only one of the things kids need. So they need collaboration. They need to be able to work with others. Because anybody you talk to in the world is collaborating with people at the other end of the universe over email creating product. This is the way the world works now. So we need to be able to collaborate very widely and understand each other, which means we need to develop more theory of mind. We need to understand what you're thinking, Randy, or what you're thinking, Lynn, because that will influence how I respond to you. We need to develop communication. So that's speaking, listening, listening. Yeah, listening, right? And learning how to speak persuasively and clearly is again, really important when we're interacting with people all over the world. As I'm fond of saying, the world is the size of a walnut. Content is what we all think it is. It's uh, the three R's and also social studies and science and Let's not leave out the arts because the arts are really important for children's development. Content isn't enough. We need to have critical thinking about that content. How do we become the innovators, the inventors, the entrepreneurs of tomorrow? We have to be able to think critically about what we presently have so we can invent something new. Creative innovation is what it takes to invent something new. And you can't do it from nothing. You have to have this, the 10,000 hour rule that a psychologist invented. You have to know a lot about your subject matter before you can engage in creative innovation. And then there's confidence. Now, when our schools unfortunately give high stakes tests, children can really wind up not developing the confidence they need because confidence means grit. It means being able to stick after your first problem solution fails. You know, you talk to anybody in the world, any entrepreneur, for example, he or she has had multiple failures and they learn from each one. And that's the attitude that we need to take for our children and for what happens in school. We need to take away the shame of not doing well on a test and make it an opportunity to learn. So those are the six C's and they develop from infancy through adulthood. We're all working on uh, being better in each of these categories ourselves, regardless of our age. So interesting to see the, the four C's um, in our, through our lens of our profile of a graduate and also these six C's that you've identified and you've talked to us a little bit about how we're developing them from infancy through, adult, through adulthood. And yeah. 
in your book, you broke HC into four levels of mastery. So could you talk to us a little bit about that so we can understand the variations within HC? And then we can talk about how we develop that mastery both through school and through home. Absolutely. So um, let's take, if it's okay, critical thinking, although I'm happy to do any of them. So just think of critical thinking as question everything, right? And we all know that there are uh, people out there who tell their children not to question. But I want my children to question everything because I don't want to live in a totalitarian society. And I want to be able to question my government and question assumptions that people make about other people which aren't necessarily correct, right? I could go on and on. So critical thinking involves selecting and synthesizing information to cope with the explosion in information that's in the world. At the first level, kids believe whatever they're told. They have to learn that seeing is not believing. But there are even still adults who are at level one um, who would believe if I told them that there are alligators in the sewers under New York City or Unfortunately, that Obama was not born in the United States. Um, And these are the people we think of as gullible who don't use evidence. But when you're a kid, you believe everything you're told. That's what kids do when you're little. At level two, you recognize that truths differ and that people can have multiple points of view. So all along, you've thought that Columbus discovered America, but then you learn, oh, they were Native Americans who lived here all along. And I can believe that too, and others probably believe that. So at this point, truths differ. Learning really is more than memorization because it does involve asking questions and questioning assumptions. You mean there was nobody around before Columbus came, right? <laughs> that might lead to a discovery that they were Indians, Native Americans. At level three, people realize that there is opinion And this is, you know how we we often hear ourselves and others say, they say, right? And then they follow that with some fact. Now I'm I'm making my fingers do air quotes because often these aren't facts. For example, uh, autism is caused by vaccination. It's really kind of a shame when people believe that and don't look for the evidence. So believing in accurate or unsubstantiated claims is stopping at the level of opinion, or they say. Now, even kids rise to that level. So one of my grandchildren who's six said to my husband, why are you here, Pop-Pop, when he came for a visit? And Pop-Pop said to him, to see you. And the kid said, no, really, why are you here? Right. So the kid is already starting to recognize that he can question at the age of six and not to buy the explanation his grandpa is offering him. At level four, we all want to be at level four because that's when we look for evidence for the things we believe. Um, As E.O. Wilson, the amazing biologist, said, we're drowning in information and starved for wisdom. So people who can master the intricacies of doubt and look for the evidence to support their positions have reached that last level. And one can encourage 
children along the lines of developing critical thinking at home by encouraging them to ask questions, even if it becomes tiresome sometimes, right? Your kid keeps saying why, and you keep answering. Finally, you want to tell the kid, enough already, right? But when you encourage your children to answer, to ask <laughs> questions, you're encouraging them to think critically. Mm-hmm. Um, we can help kids develop theory of mind or understanding of other minds, which is part of understanding being teased, right? Um, when we help them see things from the point of view of others. So if you see a homeless man and you say, uh, how do you think he feels about that? You're really moving into the domain of how do other people think and feel. You can ask your child to uh, do things like um, make an argument for something that they want. Give me three good reasons mm-hmm. why, you know. That's the kind of thing that also begins to develop mm-hmm. critical thinking. So I'm making a connection to empathy and what you just shared about critical thinking. And that's not a connection I think I really made before. But the idea of how to, how does somebody else feel about that? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, so some of these capabilities, like uh, being able to adopt um, an understanding of what um, the person you're talking to is thinking that that's part of communication and it's also part of critical thinking because you have to decide are they just teasing you when they tell you there are alligators in the sewers of New York or are they serious about that so there are lots of examples that we give in the book of the kinds of things that parents can do to help propel their children forward even something like listening to a story You can ask a child, was it real or not? Do you think it happened? And you can also ask your child to think up alternative endings for the story. How could we have made it come out differently if we were writing this story? So all these kinds of things that encourage your children to think and question will help develop critical thinking. So one of the things I enjoyed about the book was not only uh, examples of what educators could do, but also examples of what parents can do too. And that statistic that uh, our kids really spend only about 20% of their time in our schools and what's the other 80% and, you know, those adults who are in those children lo- children's lives during the 80% of the time have a huge impact. And yes. um, the other thing that I really appreciated about the book was that idea of the four levels for the first time, I really uh, felt like I had some concrete examples of what the various grades are of um, moving up from a level one to a level four. Um, and, and one of the things, I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, as educators, sometimes we say, oh, we, we, we got to be at level four. And I think that learning these things is obviously developmental. So if I go in. takes a whole life. Yes. So it's yeah. okay if I'm working in my um, class and, you know, we happen to be at a level three on something. Um, I might oh, be striving and figuring out how do I get my children to a level four. But, um, you know, some of these frameworks that we've used in education. It's uh, all or none. Yes. Right, 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 right. And now there are these well, gradations. I want to adopt you guys. Can I adopt you guys? <laughs> 
Sure. <laughs> so get the message of the book. And it thrills me to be talking to educators like yourselves who appreciate the fact that we have these levels and that you don't always have to be at a level mm -hmm. four by any means. And if you meet, you know, you know this better than I do. If you meet children where they are, you're much more likely to help them move to the next level than if you bombard them with things from a level that they're not ready to appreciate yet. So even, even us, I mean, think about communication and getting our message across, right? Communication is one of the seeds. It's so crucial, right? It's the grease that allows international commerce to thrive. And it's so important in our interpersonal relationships. Aren't we still learning, even as adults, the best ways to get our needs met by, and at the same time, not ticking off the people we work with or the people we're married to or partnered with, <laughs> right? <sighs> right? Yes, it's a, it's yes. A, it's an iterative <laughs> process, and we need exactly to be okay right. with yes. having those iterations and learning from that and then moving That's forward right. to the next level. Exactly. But we still want to have that sort of North Star of that level four. Sure. And how do we get there? Absolutely. So, so we are in a school district where all of our 1,600 children have access to a computing device in school. And many of them take them home. And when they go home, many of them have more digital devices. They're probably right. carrying phones in their pocket. And probably many of our listeners are also... Uh, in that uh, situation where their students have access to technology, more technology certainly than we had when we were growing up. Oh, so no in terms of the six C's, what is the role of technology? How can it be an accelerator? How can it be an inhibitor? Yeah. So I think, you know, all of us are tied to our technology. In fact, I recently saw uh, half of a movie I thought was really interesting, a documentary called Selling Our Soul, C-E-L-L. -L. And it talked about um, uh, students who were in a college class with the woman who did the documentary and how opportunities for collaboration and communication were much reduced by virtue of having a device through which they communicated with people. My sister-in-law told me when her uh, daughter was an adolescent, and Lynn may relate to this, she would invite over like five girls to come after school, and they would all be either sitting in the car or sitting in her house texting each other. <laughs> And my sister-in-law was a very smart woman. She knew if she told them, you must turn off your devices, they would never come. Mm -hmm. So what she would do is she would create an activity. She would have them all baking cookies. But this is not unheard of. This is very, very common. And I feel this way too. Like the digital stuff is candy for me, right? <laughs> so, right? Yeah, we wouldn't eat candy 24 seven and we certainly wouldn't let our kids eat candy 24 seven. So that's why I think we have to set limits for ourselves and set limits for our children. Uh, one thing that worries me a lot is that there's less family conversation going on. You know, you used to go someplace with your kids 
everybody sat in the car together. At most, there was a radio on, right? But there was an opportunity to talk about how Johnny got into trouble because he did such and such, and you have a discussion about it. Now, when you're driving on a highway, every person in that car, including the driver, is plugged in. They're all wearing earphones, listening to their own media. What does this mean? It means families like ours are having a lot less opportunity to talk together, to share values, to figure out how to get their messages across, to learn content. It really is a problem if parents and children allow themselves, it's mostly going to be up to the parents, to be on 24-7 when they might be having conversations with their children. So, you know, maybe the way we do this, rather than saying, put away your devices, is you have game night. There's some place in New Jersey that has game night, right? Board games. Board games are great. Card games, right? You do things as a family. You have a rule around dinner that uh, we take the phone off the hook, we don't respond to texts. We turn our phones off. We leave them in another room. We don't do email. We just talk to each other. The first week, everybody's going to complain bitterly. Oh, my God. Do you know the word FOMO? I love that. Fear <laughs> of missing out. Oh. <laughs> Fear of missing out. So the first week, everybody's going to go, oh, my God, all this stuff is happening. Fear of missing out. But by the second week, if parents are consistent with this, they're much more likely to get conversation around the dinner table to the extent that families now have dinners together. Mm -hmm. you know, another issue. So I think um, it's really important to limit the amount of time that we spend interacting electronically. And certainly, you know, we've all been at dinners where people pull out their phone. It's like they disappeared down a rabbit hole, mm -hmm. right? So my friend Kathy texted her son, here I am, I'm opposite you, come listen, you know. <laughs> so I think we have to make an effort to continue face-to-face -face communication and collaboration mm -hmm. amongst each other, because I don't think it helps us to be on all the time. And that doesn't mean we don't learn a tremendous amount from our devices. I love being able to look up words, you know, that come mm -hmm. across during a conversation, I don't know the meaning, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, it's not the best thing for young children and it's not the best thing for older children too when they need our guidance and need to have conversations with us. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned board games and we love board games. There's a great company, Game Right. I don't know if you've ever seen any of their stuff, but they are so much fun for kids and adults. Um, so and the reason I bring up the board games is so we can talk to you a little bit about play. Sure. You talk about free play and structured play yes. to help us reach mastery. So what can we talk about, um, about play and the importance of play both in school and outside of school? So um, we talk about uh, playful learning because we think that so much that goes on in children's lives happens through play. And we talk about playful learning as having two elements. One is free play. Free play is the kind of stuff that we got in trouble with when we were kids, right? <laughs> surely, surely the reader, the reader, the listener can remember something they did when they were playing without supervision that got them in trouble. That's important too, 
right? We have to learn to take risks and compute the ones that are truly unsafe from the ones that may not be. So free play is really important and free play at home is really important and it's not bad for children to be bored. Guided play is what goes on when adults, caring adults interact with children and they have a curricular goal back in their heads. Um, but they follow the child's lead. So this can take place in school and this can also take place at home if parents sit on the floor with the kid and play or play a board game. Think about how much incidental stuff comes out when you're playing on a board game. One kid says, that's not fair, right? And the other kid answers back and you say, well, what are the rules? Let's look up the rules. So they learn that instead of complaining, there is a way to resolve the dispute, right? So there's so much that goes on when you're present, your presence is crucial because guided play leads to a lot of learning in children. Free play does too, and it's important children have free play so they can figure out what they like, who they are, but when we think of curricular goals or helping our children learn these things like the six C's, then our guidance is super important. But it's a different kind of guidance than just sitting them down and giving them a lecture right? That's not what it is. It's interacting with them. It's trying not to be overly judgmental and answering their questions, encouraging them to talk to us and explaining things to them. And, and that's, um, it doesn't always have a super playful component. When you're older, I guess we would call it engaged learning. And we're, we're children's first teachers. They learn so much from interacting with us. So I encourage parents to get down and dirty with their kids at all ages and play with them because everyone will learn. Yes, we have uh, resolved many dis uh, disputes with the rules. Good. Good. <laughs> Particularly in new games, you know, sure. when, you're, when you're learning a new game. Absolutely, right. And then also being able to teach your children not to call each other names, you know? Like, you are so stupid, that's wrong, right? So, and if you say, uh, when you have the opportunity at that very moment, that's not really the way we disagree. You're teaching your children about communication, about collaboration, about what's acceptable. So parents, and adolescence is a time especially important. The research tells us that some parents kind of walk away during mm -hmm. adolescence, thinking that their children don't really want to hear from them anymore. Mm -hmm. But we know that's not true. Even if children complain, they want to know their parents are there mm -hmm. and they want guidance from their parents. And sometimes they even want their parents to say no, mm -hmm. that they can go against the crowd when the crowd is doing something that they don't think is acceptable, but they want to be a member of the crowd. Mm -hmm. you know, it's easier to say, my mom won't let me. Right? <laughs> so don't walk away if you have an adolescent, dear mm -hmm. listeners. <laughs> Good point. Um, yes, my, my son does ask me, why can't I just be normal? Why can't I have my phone? Why can't I have my computer upstairs? Why can't I just be normal? <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry you're not normal. There's a lot of pressure on parents. It's a lot of pressure. I agree completely. <laughs> All these devices make it very difficult. 
Yes, I agree 100%. It's mm -hmm. really hard to be a parent today. I agree. And a lot of it does have to do with the difficulty you have in controlling access to this electronic stuff mm -hmm. and even controlling access to what it is they look at. Mm -hmm. That's worrisome, depending on the age of the kid, especially. Mm -hmm. So great conversation, Roberta. We could talk with you all day about this, the four C's and the six C's and mastery and how we can develop those in our in our students. Certainly, we're making a lot of connections to both school and home. Um, but tell us, give us a sneak peek. What are you working on next? What are you and Kathy um, thinking about at, at this point in your careers? One of the things that I'm so happy about is that we created a language test that takes only 15, at most 20 minutes to give for children who are three, four, and five. And the reason that's such a big deal is language is the basis for everything. It's the basis for your interpersonal relationships. It's the basis for your health outcomes. If you don't understand your doctor, you're in trouble. And it's the basis for academic achievement. You will be judged your whole life by what comes out of your mouth, right? But the way the schools work, and not just the schools and any kind of group situation that kids wind up in, people don't often know who's having language problems and who isn't. So this tablet-based test we created, it's called the QUILS, Q-U-I-L-S, is very exciting to me because if I can save one kid from getting to five years of age when they discover, as they invariably do eventually, this kid has a serious language problem, right? then I feel like that my career has been worthwhile. And we're now taking that test, which is being brought out by Brooks, and we hope schools adopt it. Oh, I should talk to you about adopting it. Because we want to know early who has language problems, because everything we know in developmental tells us that when we intervene early, it's more effective and efficient than when we intervene late. So we also have a grant, another grant from the feds, your tax dollars, to <laughs> extend, really, to extend the test down to two-year-olds. Mm. And we're working away at that mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. And it's, again, all on the premise that the earlier you can get in, the earlier you can find out what's wrong, the better. So mm -hmm. this test, tell it's really more of a screener. It tells us whether the child looks like their peers or whether they're falling off the cliff. If they're falling off the cliff, and they need a speech language pathologist to evaluate them because the screener will not tell us why the child is delayed. Right. It's more of like an early intervention screening tool. Exactly. So we know at least who needs to be evaluated further. So we mm -hmm. can't ignore it. Thanks so much for joining us, Roberta. We really enjoyed talking with you. And for our listeners, you can access the show notes at tltalkradio.org. In the notes, you'll see some resources from Roberta, a link to the book, Becoming Brilliant, Huffington blog post. You can follow uh, Roberta and Kathy on Twitter. Also, you can listen to a couple of other podcasts, uh, Becoming Brilliant on NPR, and also a podcast with Brookings. Each episode, we leave you with a question or two to think about with the idea of provoking some conversation. So this episode's questions, how does the idea of levels of mastery change your understanding of the C's, in this case, six of them? In what ways can you engage parents in developing an understanding of the importance of the six C's? 
If you've enjoyed today's episode, would like to comment or just find the resources shared in today's episode, check out the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season three, episode 18. That's all for now. We'll see you next time for another conversation with an innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Roberta. Thank you, Roberta. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye now.